a world of information, advice and support available 24-7. The best way to stay current with great ideas. Love and support. Uplifting and reassuring. A constant source of inspiration and positive thinking. Like a staff room without cynics. Gives you a sense of belonging. An unlimited resource. A very supportive bunch of like-minded people. The reason I'm where I am today. A source of mad sanity in the crazy world of teaching. Feel the love. You're listening to the MFL Twitterati podcast, the podcast celebrating the voices of languages teachers from around the world. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the MFL Twitterati podcast, the podcast aimed at language teachers wanting to find new ways of enhancing language learning with and without the use of technology. My name's Noah Geisel, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, partner in crime, good buddy from across the pond, at Joe Dale. Joe, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am fantastic. I cannot wait to uh, get this episode three out into the wild. Absolutely. Let's get started. First up is our radar segment. Joe Dale, what's on your radar this episode? So the first thing I wanted to talk about for my radar moment for this episode was the fact that on the 27th of April, there's going to be an MFL Twitterati conference, which is absolutely awesome. And the call for proposals has just come out. Uh, it's being sponsored by Linguascope, who will also sponsor the MFL Twitterati podcast. And if anyone is interested in uh, putting in a proposal from the UK or from further afield, then um, there's a form that you need to fill in. If you just go to is.gd forward slash MFL Twitterati conference, you can find out some more details. The focus is on is on technology and languages. It's going to be a one-day conference, and anybody is welcome. It's going to be great fun, and we would love to see you there. That's fantastic. And again, that URL, if you want to submit for your proposal, it is is.gd slash Twitterati conference, and we'll also have that linked in our show notes. Awesome. Now, the second thing I wanted to talk about for my radar moment is um, a new website, which I came across a couple of months ago, and it's been going down an absolute storm with delegates on various training sessions that I've been doing. And it's remove.bg. Have you heard of it, Noah? I have. And I love the catchy URL, BG standing for background. And so it's remove.bg. And uh, how are you seeing it used, Joe? Okay. Well, I always love tools which are really simple and easy to use. And this one is uh, perfect for that. So what it allows you to do, unsurprisingly from the title, is it allows you to remove the background from any image which includes a human being. It doesn't work with cats and dogs. I've tried it, to my great disappointment, but it does work with human beings. So in other words, in the languages classroom, what you could do is you could um, take a photo there and then or find a photo from, say, um, a celebrity respecting copyright, of course. Uh, More of that in a moment. You could then go to the website, upload your photo, and what it does is very cleverly, using an algorithm, it removes the background automatically. So in the past, you would use, say, something like Photoshop, and uh, it would take you a long time to do this. But now it just does it within literally seconds. So it's a really, really awesome way of removing the background. So how can you use this in languages classroom? So once you've got the image with the background removed, you can then just download that. And then you could choose a background image. Now, I referred to copyright a moment ago. A website which I really would recommend for any sort of multimedia project in the languages classroom is one called photosforclass.com. And what that allows you to do is it's one of these websites which is essentially a directory of Creative Commons images. So it means that you can then do a search for, let's say, Louvre in Paris, which is the example I've been using recently. The image will then come up. And what's really cool about it is it automatically adds the attribution for the image into the um, footer of the image. So when you download that, 
you can then use some sort of um, a software which allows you to layer two images together, for example, Keynote, PowerPoint, Google Slides, BitCollage, etc. So you put the background in with the attribution, so you're covering yourself from a copyright point of view, and then you take the image which you've produced from remove.bg and superimpose one over the other. So that would just be for creating a static image. So it means that, for example, if you were doing a topic such as describing your local area or where you go on holiday, you could have an image of yourself adding, say, a speech bubble in, in PowerPoint, Keynote, Google Slides, etc. And then if you wanted to, you could even animate that photo as well. So you could add, for example, Magic Move in Keynote on an iPad, or you could use a motion path in PowerPoint, and you could move your picture around the screen. And then you could export the uh, results as a video, if it was in, say, PowerPoint or in, um, in Keynote. Or if you're in Google Slides, you could uh, use some sort of screen recording software, such as Screencastify or Screencast-O-Matic. So in other words, you're really promoting creativity by the fact that you are the star of the show, as it were, or it could be that you want to superimpose yourself with, say, a celebrity. For example, there was one example which a delegate did on a course I did recently, whereby he had a picture of the front of his school, he had his head teacher there, and then he had a picture of the head teacher next to Lionel Messi, because he knew that the head teacher was a football fan. So that was great fun. So I just love things which are simple and easy, where you can focus on the learning and not on the technology. And I think that Remove.pg is perfect for that. And as editor-in-chief of the Jodo Fan Club newsletter, I'm well-versed <laughs> in your affinity for app smashing. And when I saw Remove.bg, I, I instantly thought of you and how you would app smash it. And it's really cool to hear all these ways you're talking about. It. And I think that last example you shared about the headmaster with, with Messi, right? Like, that's what we need to be really capturing with our students is that engagement piece, right? When teachers say, this is really cool. And what does it have to do with language learning, right? And the answer is everything. Because at the end of the day, what you're going to be able to do with a tool like this is personalize the content for our students, right? So as we're using our amazing French, German, Chinese, Spanish in our classrooms, we're going to be able to create images about our language learners and put them in front of the Eiffel Tower on the field with Messi, hanging out on the stage with Macron, right? And so, you know, I think it's just a really powerful way for us to connect students with their interests in a way that hooks them into language learning. And something else that I really want to piggyback on with you there, Joe Dale, is, is the importance of the Creative Commons and image attribution. That, you know, I think that what you, what you hit on there is so super important that we as educators need to be modeling for our students how to not steal, right? That photographer is a profession because people get paid to do it. And so if we're just forming our slides for class by putting in the first Google image that comes up, we are preventing a photo photographer from earning their living. And so that is not modeling a best practice for students. We need to be using sites like you said, photos for class on your Google image search, as well as on the photo site Flickr. You can actually do a photo search where photos that have been labeled for use with Creative Commons have been used. You Tons of resources out there. We'll link some stuff in the show notes for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on another point, you could use a book creator for Chrome or, or the book creator app as well as a way of adding in your remove.bg image and then add um, a speech bubble next to it. Or you could use, if you're using book creator for Chrome, there's actually um, a free search within that whereby the results that come up will be Creative Commons licensed images. So that's perfect. And also with book creator for Chrome as well, for free, you get the comic book style. So for example, I was doing a session with some um, trainee teachers a couple of days ago, and they were making some 
amazing books, some ebooks using Book Creator for Chrome, whereby they had found some um, Creative Commons images using the Google Image Search within Book Creator, but they were also able to add in their, their photos that they created for, of themselves using the remove.bg website. And as you say, able to make a fantastic app smashing example. So that was really awesome. And so, no, what about you? What's been on your radar recently? Do you know, I had the opportunity a couple of weeks ago to go advocate for languages in Washington, D.C., and while there, I stayed with a language teacher colleague of mine, Sebastian Guzman, amazing Spanish teacher from Argentina teaching in Washington, D.C., and he was sharing with me what he's really excited about, and right now, that is Ed Puzzle, and we have some audio from Sebastian that we're going to share. Hello, this is Sebastian Glusman at Voceando, and I'm going to tell you my experience using Ed Puzzle in my Spanish class. I discovered Edpuzzle actually last year, and it really enhanced my classroom and the learning experience of my students. I used to do a lot of Flip the Classroom, where I will assign some videos or some materials for students to do at home, and they will bring the notes, and in the classroom we we'll just do activities. But Edpuzzle really helped me with that, as I was able to assign the video and the questions within the video and do a very easy check of what the students were understanding. So it's really something that I make my classroom, my teaching better to build up on something that I was already using. So I assigned the Ed Puzzle as a homework if we are covering a new grammar concept. And I found on the internet, on YouTube, there is a lot of grammar explanation videos and I try to find something that is short and engaging. And then I put the questions based on that video or based on the grammar concepts itself for the students to write and to take notes on that. And then I can really see by completion who did it, who did not. And if there is multiple choice questions, for example, uh, what's the comprehension of the students? So it's a very easy assignment and it's very easy to grade. I show a lot of shorts in my classroom. And then for them, when I ask comprehension questions on based on the shorts, Instead of assigning the questions itself and give the students a link to the video that they hardly will go and rewatch the video, I assign the questions in the short. So maybe we see the short in class, we discuss, and then as a homework, I assign the Ed Puzzle with the same short and I allow the students to skip the part so they can go to the questions if they remember or they can just not skip and then watch the parts they need for them to answer the questions. And that's how I use it. Thanks. Jodell, I don't know what really leaps out to you about what Sebastian shared, but for me, you know, a couple quick things that I love about Edpuzzle and love about the way Sebastian's using it is, you know, the differentiation piece, right? That we can take one piece of video and for three different classes, make it accessible at their level of readiness and, and proficiency. I also really love that, you know, you've got something that just is in the bank, right? So if you're creating one of these a week, you know, you're, you're set for years. I love that you can share these with other teachers. So through a community like the MFL Twitterati, you know, we're able to basically crowdsource a bunch of amazingness for class. And as Sebastian mentioned, the flip classroom, right? That here's this great way to meet students where they are on their, you know, devices outside of class in a way that doesn't feel necessarily like homework, even though it's homework. Now, for those people that have never heard of flipping the classroom or flip the classroom or the flip classroom, can you maybe just give a, a quick synopsis of what that actually means? Absolutely. And it's going to mean different things to different people. I think it, it, it's you know most basic. It's the idea of taking some of the things 
that we do in class and flipping them to out of class. So things like direct instruction that aren't necessarily two-way communication, it's just sort of more of a broadcast, why not actually broadcast that and have students watch a video of that lecture, for example, outside a classroom? So then the homework time, the kind of time that might be, as we say in the States, more guided practice can happen inside the classroom with the guide actually there. Yeah, absolutely. I think Edpuzzle lends itself really nicely to that. It seemed to be from what Sebastian was saying that uh, he was crowdsourcing the the videos. He was finding the videos on places like YouTube, etc., as opposed to him making the videos themselves. But there are lots of ways you can make those sorts of videos using apps such as Show Me, or you can even just do a screen recording of uh, some sort of drawing software. Uh, for example, within Pages on a on an iPad, you could draw on the page, and then you could then make a screen recording and do a voiceover as well. Or likewise, you could use some sort of annotation tool on the web, and then you could then use something like Screencastify in order to capture that as well. So there's various ways you can make a video that would be useful for the flipped classroom. Another thing which I really like about Edpuzzle as well is the way that you can actually upload your own videos. So it doesn't have to be something which is on YouTube or Vimeo or other such places you can actually create a video yourself using some sort of animation software or video creation uh, software and then upload it onto Edpuzzle and then uh, put in the questions for the students. Likewise, you could do the same thing on a Google form as well, which would be another thing that you could um, explore around the, the flipped classroom and sort of practical ideas for that. The other thing I really like about Edpuzzle as well is the way that you can overdub over a video. So for example, you could take a video from that you found say, on YouTube or that you created yourself you can mute the audio of the original uh, video and then you can then record your voiceover, which could be a translation or it could be simply saying the same things again that have been said in the video. So I think that's a really, really nice uh, trick for language learning as well. Man, I'm learning stuff all day long over here. I, that, I actually did not know about that overdubbing feature in Edpuzzle. Thanks for that hot tip. I love it. it. It can be a good sort of substitute for our old friend VoiceThread. One other kind of quick example that I'd love to share with Edpuzzle, because we're talking about ways of uploading our own video. We heard Sebastian talk about you know using grammar videos. I'm also a big fan of using commercials and short movie shorts, cortometrajes, as we say in Spanish. And so, you know, we can upload these and then just as a way of guiding comprehension, right? The Edpuzzle pauses the video and puts in a multiple choice question that students have to answer before the video continues playing. And, you know, for even a level one class, I think that, you know, a 30 second commercial is perfect. And Edpuzzle is just such a powerful tool for that. Fantastic, Noah. Some great tips there for Edpuzzle, the flipped classroom, and particularly using it in the language learning context. So, should we move on to the takeaway section now? Absolutely. Let's do it, Joe. And I understand you've got a great one coming up about green screen in the language classroom. Now, as this episode is going to be focusing on film in particular, I've been searching through the MFL Twitterati hashtag for different ideas from the members on how they're using film in lots and lots of different ways in the languages classroom. And something which um, really, really resonated with me, which is what the takeaway section is all about, that um, a tweet resonates with us emotionally, was one from Mr. McNulty Teach, who is a primary school teacher up in Glasgow who works at Dolmarnock Primary School. And the tweet which, which caught my imagination was one about celebrating their languages of the month, which they do. And it was sort of like the beginning of a, of a trail, if you like, like a bit like a mystery, I suppose. I, I looked at the tweet and I thought, that's really interesting. What he'd done was he'd created this, this video celebrating languages of the, of the month. And it was using green screening. And because the theme, obviously, for this episode is around the use of film in the languages classroom, it piqued my, my curiosity. So I delved a bit deeper. I contacted the... Um, 
teacher and I said, I don't suppose you could record some uh, some audio for me around how using green screening to celebrate languages of the month. And the audio that he produced for me was so much more than just a simple video with green screening. Hi there, this is Mr. McNulty Teach and I'm hoping to talk to you a little bit about our language ambassadors that we have at our school. Two years ago, we decided to come up with an initiative to celebrate the different languages that we have within our school community. We actually have 38 different languages in our school. So the whole idea was to build a little bit of a dialogue between children who use that language and other children throughout the school. So through things like daily routines and doing the register and having as much kind of bilingual materials throughout the school as possible. Throughout the first year was a mixture of successes and kind of learning opportunities, but the big change that we had this year was the ownership of the programme went from myself over to the children, and that's really changed it for the better. And subsequently, through having parents coming in for different activities, coming in to do readings in their own language and sharing cultural opportunities as well, such as learning Arabic script as well as some of the language, We've been able to build a kind of language-rich environment for the kids where children who get to use their own language are experiencing being the expert and being the master of their own language, which was really helpful. We were invited to Glasgow City Chambers for the Languages Award and alongside a lot of really successful projects, we were able to be shortlisted and subsequently won one of the Language Ambassadors of the Year Award. Something that we've been trying recently on top of that is the use of green screen technology to support our Language of the Month videos. Each month we choose a language from a school community and produce content to encourage that, not only within the school, but in the wider community and through social media. For green screening, I was relatively new to the technology and I had to rely on the knowledge of the children. And we used an app called Kinemaster, which I'd recommend. And we just used green texture paper, egg like green backing paper as our contrast colour. But we feel like through creating these videos and through having this content readily available through Twitter and a digital backlog of these that will have a bit of legacy and hopefully that it will shine a light on some of the languages within our school community and show that languages can be an integral part of the school ethos and that they're celebrated across the board. Thanks. Any questions, feel free to tweet or send me any messages that you have. Thanks. How does technology make your Language of the Month videos more interesting? People can be aware of what kind of languages you have. People get taught through the internet. Because you don't do boring handwork, you can have something more to look at. People can show videos and realise there are other people who speak the same language as you do. You can be proud of yourself and your language. Anyone can see you whenever they want and people will want to come to a caring school. So, in your opinion, why do languages matter? Well, I would say people have to know that everyone is special. No one is perfect, but everyone is special. No matter how they look, no matter where they live, or no matter what language they speak. Good. Well, if you're new in a school... And if you don't understand English or any other language, people can communicate with you and make you part of a school by talking to you in your language. Great. Well, uh, I have a few more. Okay. You can speak with other people in your language. And it is important to get more confident at the languages you speak. And can I ask, how does that make you feel when you get to do that? I feel usually that I am a master of my language. And is that a nice feeling? Yeah. Good. You've been a language ambassador now for two years. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is you like about doing it and why you enjoy being part of the team? I like to organise the languages because everyone is basically a VIP, a very important person, (laughs) and we care about other people. 
We usually learn a new language every single month, which is way more better than good. Good. We learn about having teamwork. We learn about technology and planning, and we experience different cultures. Cool. But how does that make you feel? I feel always special, important, and like sometimes like a language queen. Oh, we'll need to get you a crown. Thank, Thank you. you. So the last question I have is: Is there anything that I do that helps you to feel proud of the language that you speak? For me, I feel more proud than proud because, well, right now some of my friends moved to another school, and right now I am the only Ukrainian person in the school. And I feel pretty much important because Mr. McNulty cares about my language and tries to speak it as much as he can. I'm not too good at it yet, but how does it feel seeing me and other people learning? It makes me feel very important. And is it nice to be the expert? Yes, very great. Thank you. So I absolutely love that piece of、uh, audio. No, I just thought that was really beautiful. The way that the Ukrainian girl. Was very clearly loving being at the school. The fact that she felt that she was being valued, the way the teacher was talking to her as well. There was obviously a very good relationship there, and I think it、uh, it gave you a little peek on the the ethos of the school and the value that they place on languages within that primary school. I just thought it was really really beautiful. So it really resonated with me. How about you? Everything about it, you know, it just melts your heart and inspires you as a language educator. Right, that they are promoting how vital it is to study languages. And how rewarding it is! And folks,、uh, you know, who've listened to the first two episodes, who've ever met me in person, know just I'm going to hammer the advocacy piece that we need to be sharing to anyone who will listen to us, and even people who we have to just hold them down and tie them up in order to get them to listen to us about how important it is to study languages and culture. And I think that the most powerful tool we had for advocacy is our own students' voices, and we really hear that with this young lady here, where her passion, her love of languages, the pride it brings her, the Way that it just builds community in her school and learning environment, everything about it is just amazing, and and I'm just head over heels about it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So, what about your takeaway, Noah? What's been、uh, your takeaway for this particular episode? My takeaway comes from、uh, Meredith White, who's a teacher in Atlanta, Georgia. And if you don't know Meredith, you're missing out because she is in just the most prolific stage of a career that I've seen in a long time. She's sharing across every media channel like crazy. And she's just giving it away. So please find her and check it out. And you know what I really want to share is the way she's using Snapchat to engage her learners every day through this tool that we've only heard negative things about, and yet she's turned into this really positive, engaging tool. And we're going to let her share how she's using it in this audio. Hi, my name is Meredith White, and I teach in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm at PRHS Spanish. I use Snapchat and other social media in my classroom on a daily and also on a long term basis, and. Though I use Instagram pretty frequently and Twitter for my own professional purposes, Snapchat is the social media that I use most directly with my students, and I use it in a couple of different ways. First and foremost, it has different authentic resources posted every day, and they are posed with a question so that students can respond. So every day, our warm up or anticipatory set has an option where you can respond directly in Snapchat or on paper, and students really like that option. Secondly, I use it to create my own resources in class because you can take a picture or a. Screenshot from your phone if your phone's in the target language and you're out traveling, and say you're doing a travel-themed unit. You can take 
all of those different resources, screenshots of Uber and screenshots of your plane ticket and things like that, that they would see out and about in the world beyond our classroom. And you can share them on the Snapchat with questions. The questions can be responded to, like I said, directly, or if that's not your cup of tea and you don't want to be actually interacting with students, they can respond on a different piece of paper, like the warm-up paper. Or perhaps my friend does a tic-tac-tarea, like tic-tac homework, and you want to do something similar. So they write down what they want to respond to, and then they pose a response and turn one in per week. It's really up to you. Snapchat offers a lot of possibilities with video and pictures and things that you can create immediately that used to be impossible unless you had really special software. So I really love Snapchat. I share a couple of videos on my use of Snapchat at tinyurl.com slash Senora Blanco shares all one, one long URL address. And the videos are called social media in the classroom. As she mentioned, definitely check out her sharing on YouTube. Also her channel on Snapchat is PRHS Spanish. And like I said, she's super prolific. She's sharing in really creative ways that I think are just super engaging for students. And I love the opt-in pieces, right? Like we, a lot of us are going to have our spider senses going off about privacy, about inappropriateness, or we setting ourselves up to get in trouble. And I think Meredith really kind of smoothed that over for a lot of folks there that she's just broadcasting. She's not directly interacting with students in ways that are going to get her in trouble. And the students do not have to use Snapchat in order to access this content. It is totally opt-in. Joe, what did you think about it? So when I heard Meredith's audio for the first time, I was really interested because I've always been a bit skeptical about the use of Snapchat in languages class, which you sort of hinted at and what you just said. But um, I was really captivated by the video, so much so I actually fell asleep about halfway through because it was a bit late. It was about half past 11 at night, midnight, and um, I uh, embarrassingly woke up at the end of it. But it was really, really useful and really, really interesting. But I then just watched it again, the whole thing, in the morning and made lots of notes and actually wrote an email to um, to Meredith talking about the things I particularly liked about the video. So, for example, I liked the way that she talked about um, the one-way communication, which is, again, similar to what you just said. In other words, she explains in the video that her students follow her on Snapchat, but she never follows the students back. So, as you say, she's using it as a broadcast media and I really like the way that she repurposes authentic resources either on say Instagram she talks about uh, an example of Kyla Jenner who had named her child Stormy with an I which I had to look up not with a Y and um, that was all written in Spanish and so what she'd done was she'd taken a screenshot of this uh, post on Instagram in other words authentic resources um, as she talks about by native speakers for native speakers which I thought was awesome to, to make it relevant to young people who would have known about the story anyway but not in Spanish and then she used that uh, in Snapchat having taken the screenshot to annotate to caption and to highlight grammar points that she could then focus on so what a great way of using social media, in my opinion, in order to make the language learning as relevant as possible by using stars and and celebrities that the children are interested in in their daily life. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of teachers can really take away from. If we're struggling with, you know, our kids get worksheets of irrelevant stuff in other classes all day long. And so, you know, this is a great way for us to take something that traditionally would be delivered in worksheet form and instead deliver it through this medium that they don't even realize that what they're essentially doing is a worksheet, right? That they're getting to look at, you know, celebrities, pop culture, but they're doing it in the target language and they're doing it in a way that's comprehensible to them, that's accessible to them, and that's engaging to them. They want to do this in Meredith White's classroom. And so, you know, I think that that what you're saying is just spot on, that it's just really engaging way to capture students' attention and get them to 
kind of really engage with, with content that a lot of times is traditionally just less interesting. The other thing which I really liked that Meredith talked about was the website Chatbooks, which I'd never heard about before, which allows you to take Instagram photos and Snapchat photos and turn them into a physical book, which I thought was a really cool idea. She actually talked about the fact that she had created a set of different books, like a collection of all the different photos that she'd taken over the years via those two websites. And I thought that would be a really great way of creating some sort of prize for a language learning competition, whereby you could create a collection, a physical collection in a book of different photos that you've used in in uh, in your classes. I thought that would be really nice. In fact, it makes me think of Joseph Picardo, who used to use uh, Storybird in this way. He would send off for the physical book to the States. So obviously, it wasn't as cheap as it could have been if it was based in the UK, but he sent off to the States for a Storybird, a physical Storybird book, which he then used as a prize for a competition that they had at the school, which I just thought was a really lovely idea. Yeah, and I think there's probably lots of different ways that we can do this through chat books or other sites that are similar to that, as well as just sending it to the printer down the hall. And I think that, you know, at the risk of overkill on this particular point, one of the things that I think a lot of teachers are going to notice with their students is that their comfort level on the creation side, actually producing language inside of a Snapchat or Instagram, doing these, you know, three, four, five word, you know, language production pieces because the medium is so comfortable, they're not going to, you know, be so concerned with getting it perfect like they are in a lot of other tools that they're just used to using with school. They're going to be okay with just producing language and getting it out there, even if it's not perfect. Another thing which I really liked about the way that Meredith was using Snapchat was with the face filters and the way that she was sharing a little bit about her personal life uh, through Snapchat, but all in Spanish. So for example, she was uh, sat inside a car, it was raining, and she was talking about the fact it was raining in Spanish and giving her thoughts about that. So she's using that, as we've said already, as a, as a broadcast medium. She's not asking the students to create their own videos. She's making the videos just to give the children a little bit of an insight on her life, but using it as a vehicle for target language uh, practice, which I thought was really, really good. Also, she used a Bitmoji as well. She was talking about the fact that she'd gone to a shopping mall and she'd used a Bitmoji of herself in the car park. And then she was she was talking about asking a question in Spanish about what the students thought about going to the mall and what they would like to see and this sort of thing. So in other words, she's using that as a starter activity really just to get the children thinking. And I think that's great. And she's just creating something that I think it's so weird and delightful that the students want to know what's next, right? That they aren't committing to five minutes of their life. They're committing to six seconds of video and it's comprehensible to them. They want to know what happens next. So they're engaged and they get this reward of, I understood that Spanish isn't my first language. And I just understood a video in Spanish. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just trying to make the language as relevant and as meaningful and as and as engaging and as memorable as possible. And I think that Meredith has really changed my mind on that. She's, um, as I said, I was skeptical, but now I'm I'm much, much more aware of what you can do with uh, Snapchat. And in fact, if you go onto Twitter, I find this quite amusing. If you go onto Twitter and you do a search for Snapchat and world languages, I would say at least 50% of the tweets are either to do with Meredith or what Meredith is tweeting herself, which I thought was really, really funny. <laughs> Talking of the use of social media in the languages classroom, I came across a really interesting tweet from Lang Loudon, 
uh, a couple of days ago, whereby they were encouraging the students to create uh, an Instagram post to summarize their learning, in other words, like an outcome at the end of the lesson. And this, um, as you'll hear in the audio that you're going to hear uh, in a moment, this is part of a, a, a greater strategy from the school itself about visible learning. And I think this is really, really interesting. So let's roll the audio and then we can have a chat about it. Hiya, my name is Fiona and I'm a modern languages teacher, French and Spanish at Loudoun Academy. And our Twitter is at Lang Loudoun. I recently tweeted pictures of some of the S3 pupils sharing their learning by uploading a summary of what they did in class that day to Instagram as a plenary task. I was really impressed by the enthusiasm of the SD pupils, which can sometimes be a challenge to engage, but they're very engaged in this, where they had to create an Instagram story on what they did that day in class, or if they didn't want to post to their Instagram, they drew a picture into their daughter, mimicking the Instagram background. I've got some quotes here from the pupils, just on their thoughts on the process. So some of them said, I thought it was great fun, it was cool, it was very enjoyable, I liked it because we got to use our phones and express our feelings via Instagram. So that was a different platform for them than usual. Other pupils said, I loved doing it, it was great, I got to pretend I was on Instagram. This pupil chose not to upload their Instagram story, but she created a drawing piece in her daughter and she said it was more interesting than writing. Another people said it helped me to think about what I'd learned that day and reflect back on the task that we did. Hi there, I'm Ashley. I'm the principal teacher of the department at Loudoun Academy and I'm also a French and Spanish teacher. This activity is part of a much bigger picture at Loudoun Academy and within the department. We've recently undertaken our journey on visible learning and we're really trying to use visible learning strategies to help encourage our pupils to reflect on their learning getting them used to talking about what they've learned, the skills they've been using. And this also all feeds into our school skills framework as well. So the plenary task Instagram that we, we posted on Twitter is just part of a series of lessons that we are currently developing just now. Our head teacher had shared plenaries on social media that he had seen and had given examples and encouraged departments in the school to use these. So we use this type of plenary quite often. This one was an Instagram post. Sometimes we ask them to create a post for Twitter. Sometimes we ask them to write a text message explaining what they've learned that day. Sometimes we ask them to focus on the skills that they've been using and create a picture of their skills or a skills cloud. We give them maybe a list of skills sometimes and ask them to pick what they've worked on that day and what they need to improve. Or sometimes, you know, we have a slide up on the board that says, you know, your friend has been sick today. Can you fill them in on what they've missed? We've found that these types of activities really have encouraged our pupils to really think deeply about their learning, what skills they've been using and how they can improve that. So what I find interesting about that particular piece of audio is the fact that the department is encouraging the use of Instagram amongst their students as a way of capturing uh, the outcome and to engage them in the way that the children talked about that. That was really, really interesting. But also the fact that it's part of a wider a wider policy around visible learning in general promoted by the head teacher. And we heard from the PT there, the, the principal teacher, and then the uh, the colleague who taught the, the students uh, involved in that particular piece of audio. And I think that it's just really interesting that schools are starting to use Instagram in that way. There's a few language departments in the MFL Twitter who have tweeted about the fact they've created an account. But this is one of the first examples I've heard 
which has given a practical example of how they're actually using it. What did you think, Noah? The visible learning piece is also what really jumped out to me. You know, that historically kids come home from school and get asked, what'd you do today? And they say nothing, right? And occasionally learning maybe gets sent home and with a grade written on it and it goes up on the refrigerator. And this whole movement to use social media in order to make learning visible, I think it is just powerful for education in general. And I think that in, you know, world language classrooms, we're really well poised to take the lead ahead of a lot of our colleagues because what we're creating is just so engaging and so just important and the kids love it. And so why wouldn't we be sharing? And I love the way that Meredith and Loudoun Academy have given the students the opportunity of submitting something on paper as well as using Instagram. So in other words, there's no compulsion there. They don't have to use Instagram if they don't want to. It's not as if, you know, if you like teachers invading their world, which I know that some students uh, kick back against, but it's trying to incorporate it, giving them the option if they want to, they can post to Instagram about their outcome. And clearly from the audio that we've just heard, the students liked it or the the ones that, that did do that. And speaking of their world, you know, one piece of that audio that really jumped out at me is when the teacher said that, the students shared that it was more interesting than writing. Like, let's just be honest. The students were writing, right? And yet they said it was more interesting than writing. They they were so into it, they didn't realize that they were writing when they were writing because we were doing it in their world, not ours. The MFL Twitter Audi Podcast is brought to you by Linguascope. Linguascope.com is an award-winning language learning website trusted and used daily by thousands of schools worldwide. When your school subscribes to Linguascope, students get access to a wealth of interactive activities in a dozen different languages with over 140 topics covered. The games can be played on interactive whiteboards, computers, or on tablets. There are free apps students can download on their own devices. All students and staff can log in both from school as well as from home, making it ideal for homework too. The website also contains a host of resources to make teachers' lives easier, from printable worksheets to customizable interactive games templates. If Linguascope is new to you, then you'll feel like all of your Christmases have come at once. Teachers truly find Linguascope.com invaluable, and you will soon notice the positive impact on your students' motivation and learning. But don't take our word for it. Visit Linguascope.com and click on Learn More to find out what the website has to offer. We guarantee that you will fall in love with Linguascope. Next up, we have the MFL show and tell section of the podcast. Joe Dale, what do we have for this month's episode? Okay, so obviously this episode we're focusing on film and we've got um, a whole range of different um, bits of audio around film and how it can be used in the language classroom, either for creating films or for watching short films or organisations that are running competitions or or other ways in which um, language teachers and students can get involved with film in the languages classroom. So first up, we've got Ertzi Kulshaw, who's a primary languages teacher, and she's going to be talking about how she uses green screening in the primary languages classroom. We then got Fatima, who's going to be talking about the multilingual digital storytelling project, which she's been involved with for the last few years, organised by Goldsmiths University. Then we're going to hear from HSS Mod Lang, who have been taking part in the Scottish European Educational Trust Workshops, or SEAT for short, called Our World, and they do filmmaking weekends. And then finally, we're going to hear from the legend Stuart Gorse, or Gorsey on Twitter, who inspired me over 10 years ago with his once-up animations called Gorsefield, which you can check out on YouTube. Hello, I am Ergie Corshaw. I'm a primary school Spanish teacher. I first started using the green screen about three years ago after seeing Jodie's presentation about using movies in the classroom. My first thought was to use it with year three where we were learning 
about the weather in Spanish. I wanted to do weather forecast presentations with the class and thought that they would love to do it for real as if they were on the television with a big map behind them. I bought a green screen, which is a green piece of fabric, and downloaded the Doing app. The app has a tutorial and it's very easy to use. The children really enjoyed the filming and they loved watching their videos. These videos were shown to parents at the class assembly too. Since then, I have linked green screening with other topics, not just the weather, like conversations in the cafe, on the beach, in a football stadium, in the rainforest or in the market. I find that children are very motivated to have a go at being recorded. There are always lots of hands up when I ask for volunteers. They know that they have to practice their lines if they want to sound good, and the video gives them instant feedback on their performance. In addition to videos, I use the green screen for making up comic-type conversations. Here the children don't speak, but they have to write their sentences in speech bubbles, which is a very good way to improve their writing skills. The green screen only takes about five minutes to put up. I usually pin it on top of the class display. If you are buying one, make sure it's big enough so that the children can stand on it. You don't need any special lights or recording equipment, just the doing app. And actually, you can do green screening without the screen. Just get some Lego figures, dolls, teddy bears and use a green piece of paper. Good luck. My name is Fatima Khaled. I'm a teacher of Arabic language. I have been using digital storytelling for more than six years. I've started using it with Goldsmith University, where we did some training with them and we got our students involved and their film were used in the British Film Institute. And uh, what I felt with the use of digital storytelling that my students were so enthusiastic about this type of learning, this approach of learning, because I felt they were so integrated in the learning. They were working in groups. They were collaborating outside the school. They were asking a lot of questions. They were following me to understand more. And I felt they were leading the process of the learning. This is something which really pushed them to work harder And they were working in groups all the time, in the classroom, outside the classroom we were. Every year we do around two films and we do it around a theme. The last two years we are working through the theme of learning Arabic through art. This is a book that uh, I have written with my colleague, two teachers and our tutor in uh, Goldsmith University, Jim Anderson. And uh, this helped my student to appreciate the art, to widen their imagination, to express their feeling, their appreciation, and to learn the four skills, reading, writing, speaking, listening, and different other skills like uh, teamwork, critical thinking, Thinking outside the box, that's what they said in their uh, evaluation. So I feel the use of digital storytelling is helping a lot my bilingual students. Thank you. Hello, my name is Carlo Santi and I use the Twitter handle at HHS Langs, which is the Hillhead High School's Modern Languages Twitter page. I'm just going to speak to you a little bit about a recent SEAT filmmaking event which the school was involved in. SEAT stands for Scottish Educational European Trust. And what happens is they send out a representative to come and speak to the pupils about creating a storyboard. 
based on three themes such as trade, tourism and immigration and how modern languages are and languages in general are important in these sort of themes. They then speak to the pupils about how they could create a storyboard which could possibly be turned into a short film. It doesn't have to be only in French, they can use lots of different languages when they're creating this. Our school is very multicultural, so we on some of our storyboards we had French, Spanish, Turkish and Urdu also been used as well and some Polish and different ones as well, so it's great. The storyboards are then sent away to SEAT and they select the best ones to attend an all-day filmmaking workshop where their media professionals will speak to the pupils about how to use the iPads for filmmaking and what sort of apps are the best ones to use, the types of camera angles which are important and how lighting and sound can have such an effect on the final product. The professionals are on hand all day to help the pupils, which is fantastic. They've then got, I think there's three workshops in total, and they'll look at the films that all the different pupils from all the different groups from these different workshops have produced, and they'll pick a winner, and it'll be a film premiere in the Brodie's Law Firm in Glasgow, where they'll give different prizes, maybe for most creative or best lighting, best film, things like that as well. So lots of different prizes, lots of different pupils. Personally, I think it's been an absolutely fantastic event, very well run. Pupils loved it, and it was great to see how they were enthusiastic about speaking modern language and the importance of it, which is always great for us as teachers. So I would highly recommend it to any modern languages department that wants to promote languages. A few years ago, before Instagram, before Facebook and all those things, children were keen to share their voices on the internet. So I created a series of stop-motion animations. It took me ages by moving toys around on my dining room table, toys bought from early learning centre, to recreate dialogues, transactional dialogues, generally GCSE or sometimes just silly dialogues they wrote themselves. And the students were keen to see their voices animated in a pretty amateurish way at the weekend and then uploaded onto YouTube. And you can see them at just Google Gorsville. Uh, they're fun, they're short, they're transactional, and they've provided quite a lot of fun, I think, for modern language teachers, particularly in Britain, but throughout the world. The process was very laborious, taking lots of pictures with a digital camera, uploading it to Windows Movie Maker, adding the sound and trying to synchronize it in the best possible way, and then saving the whole lot as a file and uploading it to YouTube. Very, very, very time-consuming, but we're talking 10 years ago. That's the problem with being an innovator. So what I really liked about those four bits of audio is they were all talking about how they can use film to promote creativity and I really liked the way in which the different teachers talked about the skills that the children had acquired as a result of creating their little short films. To me, that was really inspiring. What did you think, Noah? And so much it jumped out at me. I mean, first of all, just a pat on the back to you that, you know, one of your sessions inspired a teacher who's now gone on this amazing journey with green screening. And um, something that Fatima said that, that really resonated with me was that the students were leading the process of the learning. And, and I think that that's just so powerful when we think about, you know, we're not just language teachers. We are language teachers who are preparing students for the future, for their future successful selves. And, and I think that that's really happening with her Arabic students. So next up, we're going to hear about the Creative Multilingualism Project, which is a four-year research program from Oxford University. And in particular, Daniel Tyler McTighe, the director of the Multilingual Performance Project, when he's going to be talking about the power of multilingualism and drama. Hello, my name is Daniel Tyler McTie and I'm from Creative Multilingualism at Creative Langs on Twitter. I'm the director of the Multilingual Performance Project, the MPP, which is working with teachers to showcase and celebrate the multilingual nature of schools. The project demonstrates how multilingualism can interact creatively with teaching in the classroom, promoting both taught languages and the use of community languages. 
We support schools to incorporate multilingual performance and drama activities in their teaching, and we also help establish relationships between participating schools and their local theatres. So far, we've helped support projects like a multilingual production by a school in Oxford and a performance of A Midsummer Night's Dream in Birmingham where the fairy spoke Punjabi. And we've also run loads of teacher workshops to demonstrate some simple drama activities which could be used for any language and any level. In fact, some of these activities are available in the resources section on the Creative Multilingualism website. We've recorded the brilliant theatre practitioner Holly Bateman demonstrating a selection of these activities in very short films, only two to three minutes long. They're freely available for anyone to use. If you do use them and find them useful, please do let us know. If you're unable to attend a workshop, you can still get involved with the MPP. Just use the contact form on the Creative Multilingualism website and we'll be in touch. Thanks very much. And now we're going to hear some feedback from Maddie and Sarah from GHS MFL Official, who attended an MPP drama workshop in MFL from Creative Multilingualism. Hi, I'm Maddie. I teach French. And I'm Sarah. I teach German, French and Spanish. And Maddie, you were going to say something about the Erasmus Performance Project you were involved in last year. Yes. So last year with this project, that was my first experience combining drama with languages. Mm -hmm. And I must say, I found it really inspiring to see the students working together on this project where they had written a series of play scripts in French and English, and they then had to act this out in French. Wow. And it was fascinating to see them working using drama activities in a foreign language, Mm -hmm. to see that once they're playing a role, they're far more confident in their language speaking. And what's more, it has a really great long-term effect on their motivation to learn languages. So I felt really privileged when we both got to attend the workshop at the Multilingual Performance Project Uh together. Um, And I know you took a lot away from that session. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I I enjoyed doing it and I've really tried it in my classes. There were two games in particular. So the, the injury game where you have to describe your illness and describe it physically and name it. And And I was amazed. I did that with bottom set German and it produced so much spontaneous language, things I'd forgotten they even knew, I'd even taught them. And the game of sevens where you have to go round and just use individual words of a sentence going round and round and round in a sentence. Again, bottom set French found that really motivating. Mm. They like the physicality of it. And because they're so competitive, they're so desperate to get each other out that they are very attentive to the accuracy. And I've really been able to push pronunciation with that. Um, if they don't pronounce it properly, then they're out and they don't yeah. want to be out. So I found both of those motivating. Mm. They ask for them. And I'm finding with the physical recall, just tapping on the shoulder, they remember the activity. Awesome. It's been really good. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. If anyone would like any further information, you can find us on Twitter at, at GHS MFL Official. Thank you very much. Thanks and bye. Bye. Joe Dale, I love that audio from Daniel. You know, I'm really jealous here in the States. I think we really need to be emulating more of what you all have going on in the MFL community over there around just these advocacy pieces and supporting how wonderful languages is and can be incorporated into everything we do. What, what did you take away from the audio? Yeah, definitely. I think that the fact that there are quite a few different initiatives happening at the moment from different organizations from around the country to promote languages in all its different ways, I think that's really exciting. And I think the the issue possibly is to actually know that these things are happening. And I think that through the MFL Twitterati, because a lot of these organizations do tweet with the hashtag, is a great way of raising awareness of what's out there. And in a way, I thought it would be a really good idea as part of the MFL Twitterati podcast would be to champion these different competitions, as well as sharing practical activities from teachers themselves, but also to encourage teachers to take part in these competitions with their students 
to uh, make the language learning that they're doing more relevant, purposeful, exciting, motivating, and all these other good things that uh, we want to see in our students, I think. Totally. And I mean, just looking at the resources on the Creative Multilingualism site that Daniel referenced, I, I hope everybody goes and checks those out from the poetry resources, the theater resources. And, and something that just really just has my mind blown is this whole notion of, you know, reducing the other, right? That we're always supposed to take some the othering of people and, and eliminate it. And one of the things that I really took away from the multi creative multilingualism work is, you know, with the bringing in Urdu, it wasn't just eliminating the othering. It was taking the other and making it actually magical, right? I, I love that the, the, the Urdu character is the magical hero of the story. And I, I'm just inspired beyond belief. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Now, another project which creative multilingualism has been funding is the Connector Short Film Competition, which is obviously particularly apposite for this podcast. And that's being organized by the University of Roehampton. We're going to hear now from Kate Dangerfield, who's going to tell us more about the competition. My name's Kate, and I'm a research student at the University of Roehampton, specializing in accessible filmmaking. When my team came across a funding call to explore multilingualism in an educational setting, we were really excited. We collaborate regularly with our widening participation team by organising school visits and events. So for us, it was obvious that we wanted to involve secondary schools. Connector, this is the name of the short film competition, is really about connecting with students. We're inviting GCSE and sixth form students to take part in the competition. Connector is funded by Creative Multilingualism, a four-year research programme led by the University of Oxford, researching the interconnection between linguistic diversity and creativity. The research programme aims to respond to the modern foreign language crisis by conducting research on language learning in UK schools. Students will be able to create a short multilingual film involving English and other languages. They will be supported throughout all stages of film production. So that's pre-production, production and post-production. Students will learn specific film vocabulary through our multilingual glossaries in each learning pack too. Our materials will be made widely available via the Creative Multilingualism website, but we have also set up a Google Classroom to share resources online and interact with teachers and students in a more meaningful way. The learning packs will guide teams of students throughout the production of a short film and include topics such as accessible filmmaking, screenwriting, storyboarding, acting, shooting, editing and adding sound and music. And once the film is complete, students will also be guided on how to subtitle their own films. At the end of the academic year, the shortlisted teams of students will be invited to the University of Roehampton to show their films and students will have the opportunity to present and answer questions from the public in a Q&A format. The overall winner, chosen by a jury, will be announced and will receive a prize. So over 20 films have confirmed their participation so far. So please contact my colleague Hayley Dawson at dawsonh at roehampton.ac.uk to register your interest. And you can find further details on the Roehampton and the Creative Multilingualism websites. So obviously we'd encourage everyone to get involved with the Connector Short Film Competition. If you want to find out more information, check out the show notes. We'll put the links all there so you can find out more about the competition. Now, talking of short films, Lynn underscore Silt is a big fan of short films in the languages classroom. She's given talks about it um, here, there and everywhere. And she's now going to share a little activity that she likes to do with her students called Sound On, Vision Off. My name is Lynn Jones. My Twitter handle is at Lynn, L-Y-N-N-E underscore S-C-I-L-T. I'm a teacher and a professional development officer at SILT, S-C-I-L-T, which is Scotland's National Centre for Languages, and that's in Glasgow. 
Now, I love using short films in the languages classroom because to my mind, each film, each short film is a tiny, carefully constructed little work of art. It really is. I'm actually going to suggest that you search out parts of short films or maybe even entire short films that have no spoken dialogue in your target language. But I'm here to convince you that you can still use that in your language lessons. It might sound a bit weird, but let me tell you how it works. First of all, pupils who might be put off or anxious at the thought of watching a film in the target language without subtitles, by starting with this approach, then they'll be on a level playing field from the start. And also worth bearing in mind, where there's no dialogue, there is still a soundtrack and that contains music and sound effects which give clues to the setting and the story. That's the kind of thing that gets people curious, gets them thinking, and ultimately will get them talking in the target language. So my idea is an idea to encourage active listening, and it's a technique called sound on, vision off. And what to do is you set up your audiovisual equipment so that this first time round, pupils can hear the soundtrack but not see the visuals. Okay, you queue up a short section of the film up to two minutes maximum, a section which has got an interesting kind of soundtrack, but no target dialogue. You ask the pupils to list the sounds as they hear them and then you press play. Afterwards, you ask the pupils to compare their lists and what they heard and and, and then discuss what they think is happening, where it might be happening, all that, all that good stuff. Next, you watch the same piece of film again, the same wee section, up to two minutes, but this time you've got the sound and the vision on both of them. So then the discussion that follows will be around comparing and contrasting what people thought initially, just by listening, and what they saw on the screen and where the similarities and differences were. And then they can predict what happens next in the film too. And I absolutely guarantee you that at this point, all your pupils will be hooked, even the ones who are usually a bit anxious at the idea of tackling authentic texts. They're invested in the story and the characters and they want to know what happened. So you just got to watch the whole film. And from there, you can do lots of other things subsequently in the target language. So sound on, vision off, give it a try. Great stuff there from Lynn. And I hope for anybody who hasn't tried that strategy or something like it, you'll definitely give it a chance. You know, it's a bit of a, you know, mind flip for us to look at something that doesn't have spoken words and still recognize that there's a lot of text happening there, right? Even in our early language classrooms, pointing out the number of people on the screen, the colors, right? These are the vocab words we're teaching in class. And the film gives us an opportunity to use those words in a comprehensible and engaging way. So I really hope people will check out Lynn's stuff on Sound On, Vision Off. There's also a lot of resources for a similar uh, strategy here in the States called Movie Talk. And we'll definitely link to some of those resources in the show notes. Excellent stuff. Now, another organization designed to promote the use of film in education is Into Film. And they have an award every month called Club of the Month awarded to different schools which are particularly promoting the use of film in their film clubs, either at lunchtime or after school. And it so happens that in the month of March, Sarah J. Rose MFL from Uskol Ipant won the Club of the Month award. And she's going to talk a little bit now about how she uses film and the effect it has on her students. Bonjour, this is at MFL and Uskol Ipant. Just wanted to tell you a little bit about our film club. We were nominated for Film Club of the Month by interfilm.org and Interfilm Camry for March, which we're thrilled with. 
In school, we've had a French film club since 2014. It was primarily aimed at the GCSE groups. And with that, the students saw lots of the great classics, such as Les Intouchables, Amélie, Paris Je T'aime. But with the introduction of the Global Futures document by the Welsh Government, I saw it as a great opportunity to give the opportunity to some of the younger students. So two years ago, when our primary language cohort started, I saw it as a way to give them the opportunity to watch French film on a weekly basis in the form of a club. It was a great success. I've seen students' confidence growing in listening to new language. Pupils who are less confident have come to club to check it out. And as a result, they formed new friendship groups, which has been great. It's also helped pupils improve their pronunciation. Pupils say they love the relaxing atmosphere of film club as they meet up with friends and they have a chance to watch a film together. It's also opened up the country of France as just not centred on Paris because over the films we obviously see French life in lots of different locations. And it also has shown the pupils great different aspects of French life, which is a definite advantage. Obviously at AS then, AS level, an A-level, there's a French film component and looking at culture. So starting off young is a great idea. So I thought that was brilliant from Sarah. Great stuff. Now, for anyone worried about licensing in the UK when showing films, I would suggest checking out the link in the show notes from Into Film about how schools can respond to that particular issue. And finally, the British Film Institute have been running interactive study days for many years, and Joe and I are really excited. A bit of a coup for us to have Mark Reed from the Education Department at the BFI on the show to describe what the work is. My name's Mark Reed. My Twitter handle is at MarkReed1895. That's R-E-I-D, 1895, birth of cinema. And at BFI Education as well. I work for the British Film Institute in the education department. And for the last 10 or 12 years or so, we've been doing lots of work with short films and modern languages, showing how film has lots to offer and to contribute language and to support pupils' language learning skills. We've researched that process and done curriculum development and teacher training and have a publication called Screening Languages. We worked with 25 London schools for a couple of years up to 2015. And you can find that PDF online just by Googling BFI Screening Languages. We have a microsite with some of the work from that project, which is just screeninglanguages.org. No UK on there. The main thing that I think teachers will be interested in are, is that we do study days in our cinemas at BFI Southbank for key stage two, three, four, and five in German, Spanish, and French. And also uh, we do a couple of events in Mandarin, Chinese, and in Italian. And we use the cinemas at BFI Southbank as a classroom. These study days last all day, and they're hugely interactive. They've got lots of approaches and techniques taught in target language. And in the afternoon, we typically show a film which is either on an A-level syllabus or which we think will appeal to that age group. This is a kind of program that we really want to enable other cinemas to to support and, and to get engaged in. So my invitation to MFL Twitterati is to let me know if there's a local cinema near to you that might be willing to take on some study days, particularly for MFL, and whether we should get in touch. And I guess we can do that all via Twitter. So if anyone would like to respond to that call of action from Mark and find a cinema that would be willing to run a MFL study day, then I'm sure he would love to hear from you. Or obviously you can get in contact with us as well if you prefer and we can pass on the message. We're now going to hear from Frederic Shen from Townley Grammar School, who's taken her students on a number of different BFI study days and just get her reflections about how they've worked. My name is Frederic Shen. So I'm head of languages at Townley Grammar School for Girls. Our department Twitter account is uh, languages.townley. 
The BFI Languages Study Days have a lot to offer to students. I feel that they are an incredible opportunity for students to hear and practice the target language in a context that's relevant and authentic. During the day, students engage in a range of activities based around great selection of short films in the target language. And these activities allow them to practice language that they've learned over the years, but also to develop language relating to film and cinema. So the activities range from describing characters to describing scene to watching short films up to a certain point and having to predict what happens next, as well as rewriting scripts and reenacting scenes. So a great variety of activities, all very interactive and taking participation from our students. All this is done with the support of a booklet that students receive when they arrive. And of course, the support of the speakers who are incredibly skilled at pitching their use of target language at the right level, whether it be Key Stage 3, Key Stage 4 or Key Stage 5. But I, I guess one of the most important things for me when I take students to the BFI is that I feel that through the use of film, students not only discover other cultures, but also get an insight into how these cultures actually perceive the world. And for me, that's really important because it gives students a better understanding of how the people of the countries where the language is spoken actually think and what is important to them and relevant to them as a, as a society. Now, I noticed on Twitter literally yesterday that BFI are actually looking for new French, German and Spanish presenters to work with to help them develop MFL study days for Key Stage 3 to Key Stage 5. So for American listeners, that means 11-year-olds to 18-year-olds. So the whole range of secondary. So I suppose that would be the equivalent of K-12. Is that right, Noah? Absolutely. Cool. So if you're interested in finding out more, it said on Twitter the person you need to contact is carol-mei.barker at bfi.org.uk. But of course, as always, we'll put all the contacts and the links into the show notes for you to check out. So anything else to add, Noah, on the use of short films in the languages classroom? Any other resource that you'd like to recommend to listeners? Yeah, one thing that I'd like to add to our show and tell is an amazing website. It's an online short film festival that happens in a number of languages from Spanish to German and Portuguese and French. It is accessed at fibabc.abc. Dot es. We'll link to it in the show notes. It's been going on for a number of years now, and so you now have hundreds, probably actually even thousands and thousands of short films that you can explore and find ways to bring into class. Fantastic stuff. And for Netflix fans, I saw that just recently The Observer published an article called No Habla Español, How Netflix Could Transform the Way We Learn Languages. And this is referring to a website called languagelearningwithnetflix.com. And essentially what Netflix have done is they've curated a number of different films in different languages and they've created subtitles for these films which you can access via a Chrome extension. But again, all the links we're referring to here will be in the show notes. So I think it's now time to introduce our Tech Talk interview with Graham Wilson. For this episode's Tech Talk interview, Joe and I were delighted to speak with Graham Wilson of Class QR and one show note for our listeners is at the time of our initial recording, QR was still in beta, which for our U.S. listeners is beta. And Joe, do you have any update from Graham about when QR can be available? So I had a Twitter direct message conversation with Graham literally this morning, and he assured me that QR should be out on the day of the release of this podcast. So fingers crossed, that is the case. He's not going to tweak a few more things about the app because I think he's a bit of a perfectionist, just like me, and it does actually come out on the day you're going to be hearing this podcast. How awesome would that be? So with that said, without further ado, here's Graham Wilson on Class QR. 
So on today's Tech Talk interview, it's our pleasure to be talking to Graham Wilson. Now, Graham's not a languages teacher, but he has come up with an app uh, which was called Vocal Recon, has now been called Class QR, which has uh, been a massive hit with language teachers. And we're really, really delighted that Graham's come on to talk about uh, why he came up with this solution of creating audio QR codes. And uh, over to you, Graham. Hi, Joe. Hi, Noah. Thanks for having me here today. Yeah, so Vocal Recall, we we launched a little over a year ago, and it was launched because I had been experimenting with audio marking, and I found it saved a lot of time. I think a lot of teachers have realized that giving verbal feedback in the classroom is very effective, and it takes a lot less time than written feedback whenever you're marking someone's books. But with the experimentation, I found it a very slow process and that I had to record on my phone. I had to then upload it onto a cloud and then had to print the link off and, and give it to a student who then, uh, and the, the, the process was, was not quick. So one day I, I had the idea on the bus on the way to school that we could somehow streamline this process. And I got thinking, you know, how we could do this and came up with the idea of using QR codes. You could have a predetermined online storage location, which the QR code linked to. And just with a little bit of software, you could use your phone to record a message that would send the audio directly to this location on the QR code that could then be picked up by the student using any smart device. And uh, this proved very popular. You know, one of the things I love about your origin story there is, you know, you had the idea on the bus, right? That, that we're not limited to the four walls of our classroom or schoolhouse for inspiration teaching. And I think that also applies to learning, right? And that just what your technology does is almost a metaphor for that as well, right? That learning and feedback and progress monitoring happens whenever and uh, wherever we want it to. Exactly. Well, uh, when I had the idea, I, I ran into school and I told the first person I saw, I said, I've had a great idea, audio feedback. And I explained the idea to him and he didn't get it. And uh, I, that was a bit disheartening. And I actually from when, when Joe first saw it at the um, language show, it took him a couple of minutes to fully comprehend the idea. And I could see that light bulb moment flash on Joe's face when it did trigger. And he kept asking me, how does it work? And that, that for me, seeing people's reactions was was incredible and seeing the children's reactions of having instant feedback for their work and all they had to do was scan a code and that was powerful yeah i mean i think i've come from the same place as yourself graham in the sense that i knew how to create an audio qr code but as as you just described so uh eloquently it wasn't an easy process you would create an audio file you have to upload it somewhere like google drive make a shareable link turn that into a qr code import it into a word document print it out cut it up and it was just it wasn't easy what i love about your solution is it's very very slick and having done lots of training around what was vocal recall one thing that teachers were telling me all the time was how easy it was and i think for teachers scared about using technology it's been a massive massive hit Mm. We've had some real technophobes tell us how easy it was to use. Uh, and I think the fact is, is that we prioritized not having any logins. We really tried to make it so that it was just a few buttons you needed to press. And I think by showing anybody how it worked, the idea instantly clicked with them. But I think for people who don't know, the app allows you to pre-generate sheets and sheets of QR codes. So you might have 35 QR codes on a sheet. And uh, you can just have those sitting on your desk. You know, it might take you five minutes to print them out. And then once you've got those codes, then you just use your phone to record a message and you scan one of the codes and the audio then appears on the code and you can stick that code wherever you want. 
And I think lots of language teachers just got it straight away and they thought this is amazing for not only listening practice or maybe creating an enhanced worksheet whereby you could record your voice as a listening comprehension, put it on the top of the worksheet. The students could then scan that and listen back to the audio either in the class or at home. Or another innovative way of using it, I think, was for speaking homework. So teachers who I know have given students a worksheet with a blank QR code onto it, a vocal recall as it was then, that the children could then look at the success criteria that the teacher had given to them for their speaking practice. Um, I've seen some nice examples of that of a GCSE or exam level criteria. And they then prepped their answer, recorded it using the app, and then attached it to the QR code. Just absolutely wonderful. Yeah, what was initially, well, I designed it just for marking. It became apparent very quickly that people were using it for all manner of different uses. We had a lot of language use, as you've explained. We also had a lot of um, SCN schools, they were using it because a lot of their students have iPads and they they found that the students like to listen to instructions over and over again, but are often maybe not so confident to ask the teacher again and again. So it was a big hit that they could put the instructions and the students would sometimes listen to it 10 times and they just loved listening to the teacher uh, either give them feedback, positive praise. That was one of my favourites. Yeah, lovely. I've also seen a nice example of primary school children creating Christmas cards in the target language. So writing uh, Merry Christmas to their parents, but then including a QR code uh, in the Christmas cards so that the uh, the parents can listen to their own children speaking in French or what have you, uh, wishing them Merry Christmas and what have you. So I just thought that was wonderful. I also have seen an example of a teacher using a, um, a QR code with a triama, i.e. Uh, creating a piece of paper sort of folded into three with um, the text underneath and on the two sides of the wall, an image related to what the text was about. And then they had the QR code on the wall as well. So for languages, it just means that you can really redesign an activity, I think, through the use of audio QR codes. Absolutely. And I think that one of the things that for folks who are familiar with QR codes thinking, well, I've known about this for almost 10 years now. And so what's the big deal? One of the things that really jumps to me, Grant, about what you've done here is that kind of backwards planning piece, right? That up until now, it's I create the content and then I create the code that helps someone access that content. And what you've done is allow people to create a code and then backfill it after the content's been created. Yeah, I think QR codes got quite a bad rep up until very recently. And a lot of companies just used it to put a, a web link on. So you'd often see them on posters and just the effort of even just loading up your QR scanner and scanning it, it was easier just to type the website into Google. So it led to QR codes being seen as almost uh, inconsequential. And, um, you know, when I was demonstrating this or sharing the idea, a lot of people would say, oh, QR code, who uses those still? But I think when Apple and Android now, they've built the QR code directly into the camera app, it's made it a lot more accessible to everybody. And that, that was a big turning point for us. Can we maybe go back to when we first met, Graham, back at the Language Show 2017, when you first introduced everyone at the show and tell to uh, what was Vocal Recall? Were you surprised by people's initial interest or their their reaction to uh, to the app absolutely the uptake after that language show was the real trigger point and it just kept getting shared on twitter and our our users started to skyrocket and what was basically a, a basic demo suddenly we had thousands of people using it almost overnight and uh, that was quite scary because you know we hadn't planned on that and we needed to make sure our, our infrastructure was tight and kept up with the demand. 
so we were quite happy with that. But just the the sheer word of mouth was incredible. People were actively engaged with it. People wanted to tell others about it, and we 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 had very uh, very high weekly growth, um, which uh, we weren't expecting. And then you spoke at the Bet Show at the um, Bet Futures area, and I know that um, that went down a storm as well, and lots of people were singing your praises on Twitter and face to face as well. After that, we realised what we had. Uh, we realised that we had a product that teachers really wanted. And I had so many messages of support, people thanking me, people saying, this app's half my marking time, it saved my evenings. Uh, and, and that really kept us going. So we'd have weekly meetings down the coffee shop and we'd discuss all the features we wanted to bring over and uh, you know, look at our users, look how many people were uploading codes, listen to feedback and think about how we can improve it. And it was very exciting. We were interviewed by the BBC. We, uh, you know, did an interview with, uh, Ross from Teachers Toolkit. And we, we had a lot of big names starting to get interested in us. We had people from, you know, educational government agencies saying that they'd love to get this in uh, from all around the world. So it was amazing. And then something changed, didn't it? Yeah. And unfortunately, the success was causing certain stresses. And we, we saw our user uptake, um, much higher than we were expecting. Uh, and this caused some, some issues with the other person I was working with. And it inevitably led to the, the failure of the app, um, with data being removed. And that, that hit pretty hard. That, that was, uh, a real big blow. And I, I don't know where we'd be now if that hadn't have happened, but. I'm still here and uh, working on the new version of Vocal Recall, which is called Class QR. I changed the name because I felt that Vocal Recall, after a while, was a bit of a gimmick. It was a play on the sci-fi movie Total Recall. And uh, the, the company name is We Can Remember It Limited, which is a play on the original story, which is We Can Remember It For You Wholesale by Philip K. Dick, which is what the movie Total Recall was based upon. But um, I, I didn't like the fact that vocal was quite limiting and we wanted to do video as well. So I, I really wanted something that sounded like a class tool, something that teachers could use. We also had to weigh up the fact that there could be other uses such as greetings cards, but we thought that that would be quite a minor use of the app. And if we wanted to, we could release a separate app for greeting cards. Uh, but we wanted to brand the new version as a, a classroom tool, which is what it turned out to be. And you know, when you talk about the different uses that you anticipate, another thing that really leapt out to me is that, you know, for all that you initially imagined it for, educators took it in wild and unexpected ways. And so I'm wondering if specific to the language teacher community, if you can share a few more examples of, of ways that you've seen teachers use the tool in language classrooms that you just never would have seen coming. Well, the reversal of the students being given the codes and asked to upload homework to this teacher, and then the teacher could scan the codes and even leave their own feedback on a code next to it. That's something I hadn't anticipated. We had language teachers making advent calendars, and behind each door was a code with a Christmas greeting in a different language. That was popular. And um, we also had uh, just, just general use among schools was um, audio tours. So there might be students work up in the corridors, and this allowed students very quickly to say something about their work. Uh, this was very popular with heads who were doing parent tours, um, and that the parents would be able to scan and listen to the students talking about any poetry or inspirations for artwork. That was good fun, I thought. 
and also treasure hunts where teachers would hide codes around the school or the classroom and the students would have to go and find each one. And instead of printing off the instructions, the teacher could do it very quickly without even having to go near the computer. They could almost set it up in a few minutes before the lesson. That's absolutely awesome. I just think it's fantastic to hear all these different um, user cases. It's just brilliant. So what was the what was the difficult beginning to 2018 has now turned into a, a brand new app, as you said, uh, Class QR. Could you maybe talk us through some of the features? I know that it's very similar to the original concept, but you've uh, you spent a lot of time changing, like sort of like the infrastructure, so that if it does take off, which I'm sure it will do when it when it comes out, that you'll be able to cope with the with the demand. Absolutely, we're making it so it's very robust. It's a very professional product. Uh, everything is tight behind the scenes. We could scale to a million users, and we'd be absolutely fine. Um, so we we've, we've got it running on a serverless instance, uh, which is uh, being run on Amazon servers, so very robust. The features which we think are most important for Class QR are going to be the free version. So we understand that students aren't going to be expected to pay for it, and we want the free version to be very usable by students, and the audio quality will be fairly low, which isn't a bad thing. That actually makes it very fast for encryption and upload. So really, you know, choosing higher quality audio is something you'd only do if you had access to a, a high-speed internet connection. If you have a premium account, then you can actually get past the six-month limit with the student accounts. And from a premium account, you can generate premium codes. So if you're a teacher, you can give those premium codes to your students. You can record onto those with the free version of the app. And that gets rid of the six-month deletion limit. That will stick around forever. Uh, that will be a permanent code. Uh, so another incentive to get the premium version. The premium version, we're going to be doing as a subscription service of about $1.99 a month. That's not confirmed yet, but that's what we're thinking. Uh, and that will cover our server costs and uh, allow us to maybe, you know, if we get some users, we'll be able to hire a few more coders. And then we can bring in some greater features. So really the bucket list of features we want for Class QR, the basic premium version, which we'll be launching with, it will have a variety of quality options. So you can have low quality audio, which will upload fast. If you're on a mobile connection, that's pretty good. Or you can have high quality. We'll also be aiming to do video. So you can record video clips and upload those, uh, as well as any pictures or documents. So we're going to really be making it more of a file locker storage area. So you can upload anything you want to it. Other premium features would be that you can upload multiple audio or multiple things to the same code. Whereas with the free version, you can only do one thing per code. Other premium feature will be you can generate one sheet of all the same code. So if you want to give out the same instructions over and over again, you just have to record it to the first code on the sheet. And then all the codes on that sheet will have that instruction on. So you can just stick it on everybody's books very quickly or worksheets. We'll have searchable history. So you can quickly pull up a, a class list. We will have it so that you know when someone's listened to the audio or access to file or watch the video. Uh, so you'll have a, a red notification, which is incredibly useful for chasing students up because previously when you're just writing feedback in books, you don't know if they've actually read it. You don't know if they've actually engaged with it unless you ask them some specific questions. But with this, you can just bring up your app and there'll be a tick next to a student's name and you can see that they've listened to your feedback all the way through. So there's lots of other things that we want to do. One of the most powerful is where you don't even need the app at all in order to use it. So by scanning the QR code, it actually takes you to a web app version. So you can record directly from the browser onto the code 
And we, we thought that would be really cool. But again, these are things coming in, in the future. But you have done something really nifty with the sticker sizes, haven't you? The way that you can resize the stickers so they fit the sheets. Because in the States, uh, as Noel will know, the, um, the paper sizes are different, aren't they? Can you talk us through how you've been able to come up with a really cool solution for that? Yeah, so one of the main problems we had was codes not aligning with certain printers. And we really only had one sheet size, which was a 7x5 grid, which was good for the stickers I could get cheap. If you were to get the stickers from Avery, you'd actually find buying blank stickers from Avery was more expensive than buying the pre-printed stickers from us because uh, we had a manufacturing company in the UK that was able to do the sticker size at a very good rate. But that wasn't the case across the world. And America, they have different paper sizes. So we generated a, a code layout grid. So you can just change the parameters. You can put 60 codes on a sheet. You can put 100 codes on a sheet. You can do anything you want to make the code size fit the stickers that you have cheapest access to. And that was something which was asked for by a lot of people. And we're going to make it so that it generates a code. So when you've got your parameters in, it will generate kind of a, a six-digit hexadecimal code that you can just put into the app, and it will rem- it will use that to generate sticker sheets when you put them through our server. So if you press get codes, you just put in the six-digit code that you've generated. It's quite complex. But you go to our website, you'd use the code generator layout, and you'd basically make it so that you know what layout's going to work with your stickers. And once you've got that, you, you get a code that you put into the app and that then generates the codes for you via the app. And we're going to make it so that we'll provide codes that we've made uh, for various sticker sheets. So we, we'd have a code for the American sticker sheets and people can share them as well. People can make them and say, hey, these work for these. And it just allows everybody to figure out how to get these codes onto the stickers. And if your printer's not aligned perfectly, then you can just bump them down by a millimetre and that would work as well. And you don't have to use stickers if you don't want to, can you? You can um, request a PDF, for example, which will be sent to you instantly. My understanding is that's the case. Is that right? Yeah, so we don't have any limits on how many codes you can request so that there's no limit of five per day or anything like that. And it can just, just email to your email address as a PDF sheet and you can just print them on paper and you can just cut and stick them down with some glue and they'll work exactly the same. Just the sticker aspect makes them a lot faster to use. So for schools that are, you know, tight on cash at the moment, they can use the app completely for free. But if they want to, they can go premium, pay one ninety nine. Would that be per teacher or per department or how how would that work? That would be per user. So if a, if a user, I think it's up to three devices we're going to be doing. So if a user has a, a phone and a tablet, etc., then they, they can use the app on all three of those at the same time. Awesome. Now, I know a big issue at the moment around Europe is obviously the GDPR. Could you describe how GDPR compatible Class QR is? Well, everything we store on our servers is completely encrypted. We store nothing unless the user has specifically told us they want us to store it, uh, which basically means that GDPR doesn't apply because there is no identifiable information that we have access to. Um, only the original users have access to it. People can sign up to our mailing list if they want to. And of course, they can unsubscribe at any point. And we will be tracking people to see their usage stats, uh, but we will be tracking people with completely anonymous identifiers, just random strings of numbers, so that we can know how many users we have and uh, how many codes an average user is, is uploading per week 
or per term or something like that. So it just allows us to, to have a look into that. But, you know, we're not interested in, in any data. We're not going to be selling any data. We're not interested in that. But we felt that the encryption aspect was very, very important because you can't have sensitive student data. Maybe you're giving them feedback on something. Maybe teachers are using students' names in that recording. We can't police that. So we've got to have a very airtight way to ensure that no identifiable information can ever be even hacked. So if even, even our servers are hacked and everybody downloads everything we've got, it's completely useless unless you have the actual QR code. The only way that you can access the original information is to have a copy of the QR code. Without it, you can't access it. Yeah, that's really amazing. I mean, I just want to really thank you on behalf of, I think, the teaching profession, the way that you've come up with this fantastic solution to a problem. And the fact that also, as you are a teacher, you've you very much integrated that into your own practice initially and then how you then put it out there and uh, and spread the word and the, and through social media as you know it it went well one could say viral literally viral as of October last year and the fact that you did go through those difficulties um, a few months later but you were very sort of transparent about uh, what had happened on Twitter and I think that a lot of people really respected that and I think that so many people are just can't wait to get their hands on um, the ClassQR app. So just to clarify, you're saying in January, you're going to be doing beta testing. And then at what point are you thinking of going live so that everyone can get their, their hands on the ClassQR? Well, we're going to be doing, as you said, the beta tests. And during the beta tests, we're not going to have the six-month limit. We want people to know that anything they use will be sticking around. And there will come a point where we're happy that we've got all the bugs out of the system. Uh, so I'm going to be doing alpha testing, uh, which is where I just do everything I can to the app to try to break it. And anything that I find will fix. But there are certain combinations which you just, you, there's so many permutations that you just, you just can't figure it out. So that's when we give it to the public. And, you know, if we had 200 people beta testing it for us, then they'll inevitably find things because they have different phones, they have different laptops and tablets and ways to access the codes. And we just don't have the ability to test every single device out there. So they'll be uh, hopefully feeding back to us with any bugs that they find. Once we're happy, once kind of the bug reports have died down, which might be a month, then we will release the free version. And shortly after the free version will hopefully during that month of January, we'll be able to get the premium version. And it's our aim to launch them both at the same time. So kind of there's the full app launch with free and premium included. Yeah, it's just incredible. It's so exciting. It feels, uh, well, I felt like it was a real scoop, the fact that you uh, agreed to come onto the podcast and and tell everyone uh, your plans about Class QR and all the features. And I'm sure that um, people are listening to this with huge excitement, uh, as we are as well. And it's just so uh, well, I was thinking while you were talking, actually, Noah and myself were very much into uh, researching a lot of um, different you know, new tools and new apps all the time. That's what we do as a, as a matter of interest. And I think that once in a while, something comes along which really catches your interest and finds a fantastic solution to a problem that maybe lots of people interested in their tech um, have been trying to solve. And I think that hand on heart, it's it's one of the best apps or the best uses of technology in the in the classroom that I've ever seen. So thank you so much. Wow, well that that means a lot coming from you. Thank you. Graham, thank you so much for joining us. Anybody who's not already following Graham on Twitter, he is at class underscore QR. This has been just such a fascinating conversation, as Joe said, about some really exciting technology. I'm super mega mooly excited to see where teachers and students take it in those, you know, really fascinating, unexpected ways. And Graham, just thank you so much for taking time to share with us and the MFL Twitterati community. 
it's been a pleasure to be on the show. Uh, thank you very much for having me. And I hope next time we speak, um, ClassQR will have been launched. Fingers crossed. So thank you so much to Graham Wilson for telling us all about ClassQR. We can't wait to get our hands on the app. And I'm sure it'll be a fantastic tool for language teachers for listening and speaking skills and audio feedback. So we've come to the end of the episode. It's been a fantastic episode, I think, hearing from lots and lots of different language teachers about the use of film, from lots of different perspectives, either for creating films or for accessing short films or to seeing how uh, what short films can bring to the languages classroom. So I think it's been a really interesting episode full of lots of ideas. And thank you so much to all those contributors, the MFL Twitterati who have sent us audio. It's very, very much appreciated. The show wouldn't work without you. So thank you so much for sharing all your expertise. No, what about you? What did you think of today's episode? And I couldn't agree more, Joe Dale. I love hearing all the voices from all over the world. And, you know, this MFL Twitterati podcast is not just for the MFL Twitterati, but by the MFL Twitterati. And that's something that I really appreciate about what we're doing here. Um, I mean, so many things jumped out at me from what these expert teachers were sharing all episode long around how we engage students. I love the piece around how students would feel more confidence in speaking once they were playing a role for the films. I love the focus on these essential skills of collaboration, planning, organizing that we see. And something else that I think is really important for us to talk about is, you know, especially when we're talking about these social media tools, that, you know, from the point of this podcast, it's ultimately about the ease and accessibility about the creation, not about the networking of the apps. When we hear Meredith White talking about Snapchat, if you're not comfortable with the medium, don't use it. You know, if you're comfortable but wary, maybe consider using it just as a creation tool and not as a communication tool. And what I mean by that is treat it the same way you would a tool that's not networked, like PowerPoint or Storybird, right? Where you're just using Instagram or Snapchat in order to easily and powerfully create something that you then download to your camera roll and disseminate to students through a medium with which you're more comfortable. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think if you wanted to, for example, create a talking avatar using an app such as Chatterpits Kid or Masquerade, that's M-S-Q-R-D, or iFunface, or these sorts of apps. There are lots of apps out there that allow you to do that. And then take that video and upload it somewhere such as Seesaw or Padlet. Essentially, pedagogically, you're doing a similar thing if you want the students to produce the avatars. But what I like about what Meredith is doing is she's using a tool which is familiar to students, but she's not getting them to use the app to create their own avatars. She's just using it as a way of bringing to life a language that she wants them to learn. But by using that medium, it makes it, in my opinion, more accessible and meaningful. But I think that what you've just said, Noah, is incredibly important. And there are lots of tools out there. There are lots of solutions, pedagogically speaking, to what we're trying to do in the languages classroom. And it's really down to the teacher to make that decision, as well as clearly to adhere to the e-safety policy of your school. And if you're not sure about any of these ideas, talk to the person in charge of the e-learning policy and just check with them that they're happy with you to use some of the tools we're recommending here because that's the most important thing. What we wouldn't want to happen is for you to get into trouble because you said, oh yeah, we heard on the MFL Twitterati podcast to try this, that and whatever. <laughs> and then I've had this parent complaining about my use of Snapchat or whatever it might be. Totally. We have an expression in the States of, uh, you know, don't ask permission, not forgiveness or, or don't ask permission, ask forgiveness. This is definitely a case where you're probably best if you have any doubts at all to seek permission 
not forgiveness. Cool. So moving on swiftly, what have we got uh, coming up for the next Tech Talk interview in uh, the next episode of the MFL Twitterati podcast? Absolutely, Joe Dale. For our next episode, our Tech Talk interview is going to be with the amazing Jane Bassnet. And for folks who haven't already been familiar with her and her amazing work, she's not only an iPad expert, she's also a Microsoft expert. And you know, we're really excited to share an interview with her where she teaches us not just about how to use tech in powerful ways, but also how to go through changes in powerful ways and roll with those changes without suffering, but actually treating it as opportunities to grow and learn and make language learning even better for our students. And for those people who would like to follow Jane before you listen to the episode, her Twitter handle is BassnetJ, and she's a great person to follow on Twitter. She's always tweeting interesting things about education and technology. And Joe, for our next episode, we're again going to be working with a theme. Do you want to let our listeners know about the theme for the next episode? Absolutely. Now, as exam season is upon us, we thought for the next episode of the MFL Twitterati podcast, it would be a really good idea to include lots of exam revision tips and different ideas shared by the MFL Twitterati on activities that have worked for them, preparing their students for the GCSE exam. And for those people that don't know what GCSE stands for, it's General Certificate of Secondary Education, and that's the exam that all students in England and Wales do at the age of 16. The MFL Twitterati Podcast, celebrating the voices of the modern language teaching community. If you've enjoyed this episode of the MFL Twitterati Podcast, please rate and review us on Apple's podcast app so more language teachers can find us. You can subscribe to the MFL Twitterati podcast on the Apple Podcasts app, Google Podcasts, Overcast or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For information, go to our podcast site, mfltwitteratipodcast.com, where there are lots of references to this episode's content and all the previous episodes too. 